Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, Mitch Light. This show is sponsored by the Well Coffee House, a Nashville-area coffee house that provides fresh roasted coffee along with its house-made pastries, breakfast, and lunch offerings. There are four locations to serve you in the Nashville area. Those are Brentwood, Green Hills, Downtown, and Bellevue. You can find more information at wellcoffeehouse.org, the Well Coffee House, where coffee changes lives. We thank our co-presenting sponsor, Wellspire, Nashville's Learning and Development Center. Wellspire is located in the Gulch. Today's news presented by Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in any type of an accident, call Taylor or Russell at 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. Well, it is SMU 92, Vanderbilt 81 in overtime. That is your final from Memorial Gym on Saturday night. Aaron Neesmith scores 29 points for the Commodores, who fall to 8-5. and five. Big news in football, massive staff changes for Coach Derek Mason. New offensive coordinator is Todd Fitch, new defensive coordinator Ted Roof, and a new offensive line coach, Peter Rosamondo, who comes from Rutgers in the same position there. The guest line is presented by our friends at Boland Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. I've slept on their sheets for years and loved them. They are fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, get the mattress as well. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to bowlandbranch.com. That is spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code VANDY and get $50 off your first set of sheets. Mitch Light joins us. He is the executive editor at Athlon Magazine and its fine family of publications. He is also the sideline announcer for Vanderbilt Football. Mitch, hope you had a great holiday. Hope you were doing well. Thanks for joining us today. I did. Uh, it's always busier than I would like it to be um, at Athlon because of our weird and tight deadlines for our baseball preview, um, which um, has already been sent to the printer. And I just things are happening today that I wish we got in our magazine. But that's that's the nature of the business. So but it's it's uh, it, good to be talking to you today, Chris. Now, what happened today? I had been watching MLB just, Network, but did not just notice my, any. N- nothing major. Like Daniel Hudson resigned with Washington, and I remember on right at deadline on Friday morning they signed Harris away from Houston, the relief pitcher. And the point of the the, the whole segment section was that they lost Hudson, but it's okay because they got Harris. Blah blah blah. And then though, then they ended up resigning Hudson. So it's just it's not only the way that they added him late; it's that we had written as if he definitely wasn't coming back. So just little stuff like that. But, you know, it's the nature of the previews. It is. Fewer big pieces unsigned at this point. I'm thinking Josh Donaldson is probably the biggest one. And I'm drawing a blank because I know there's some some other moderate free agents out there, but I can't think of who they are at this point. Yeah. um, I saw someone on an all-unsigned team today. I glanced at it. But really, like, I – I move on once we send our printer to the, the mag to the printer. I like move on and just uh, and uh, you know after being so inundated with baseball stuff for for about a month, uh, I just like I can't get that you know I can't worry about what we don't have in the magazine. So, well, uh, I will offer you a chance to move on to college basketball and football if you like. 
We we let's do that since that's for the purpose. That's the purpose of this. Uh, the purpose of this uh, podcast is not to talk about Major League Baseball. Although Brian Reynolds is on the cover of our uh, Pirates. Nice, very nice. Yeah. And I did not that I, I sent that to a friend actually. And said, hey, is that the Mitch Light effect? I was like, no, actually, I I reached out to our Pirates writer and and, and asked uh, for a suggestion on who we should put on the Pirates cover and he said Brian Reynolds I said good answer and he did not and he did not know that I went to Vanderbilt so could have some uh Nashville area purchases of that edition I would presume yes yes it will if any, actually listeners it'll be on in our in the store at Athlon Sports in about probably about three weeks it'll be on newsstands about a month but it'll be at athlonsports.com in about a, about three weeks but it may not just be the Vanderbilt fans he went to Brentwood High so he's got a yeah. following outside of that locally too but yes Let's start with the football hires. Vanderbilt now has a new offensive coordinator, a new defensive coordinator, a new offensive line coach, a defensive back coach on the way. I did drop a name on that in our war room yesterday that I think has got a good chance to materialize. But let's talk about the three we know. What do you think about those, Mitch? Um, defensive coordinator job, Ted Roof, I think that's – I think that was a very good hire. He's very well respected and has done a good job in multiple stops. Obviously, struggled as a head coach, but that was at Duke before Duke got good, and no one, you know, and he's not been hired to be the defense head coach at Vanderbilt. He's been hired to be the defensive coordinator. So, considering where the, the you know, everyone knows the situation the staff is on uh, is in, a kind of a win now. Um, I think that was a really good get uh, to get a guy with that resume. Uh, Fitch, Todd Fitch, I. I don't really know a ton about, and I follow this very closely. You know, we have in our magazine, you know, coordinators. We do a lot with coordinators stuff. I know the name. He's been around for a while from his time at Boston College. Um, I don't know. You, you know, I've been out of pocket. I haven't followed this stuff that closely. I don't know if there was a connection between Derek Mason and, and Fitch, but his name came up almost immediately when they announced the coordinators were, 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 were uh, you know, where, where Jerry Godowski would not be back. So again, I don't know if there's a, a connection, why he jumped to the forefront there. And I, I, I think I like the style that he plans on, uh, you know, you know, installing. Um, I think it's what we've learned in Vanderbilt in recent years, the, the offensive line um, can kill you. I mean, not literally, but you know, you've got to have a really, really good offensive line to run this, the style that Vanderbilt's run in recent years. And we can talk about this in a minute, but, you know, losing Devin Cochran or apparently losing Devin Cochran, the offensive line is going to be a huge question mark again next year. So if you can do some things to mitigate the, your offensive line, uh, spread things out, then I think that's the way to go at Vanderbilt. So, you know, open mind on Fitch. I, you know, those people that have listened for years, and I think, you know, I always have an open mind on every hire, uh, even if it's unpopular. But um, so open mind there. Like the Fitch hire, don't know really anything about the offensive line hire. Yeah, we'll stay on the offensive side of the ball, then we'll talk defense in a moment. First to the Cochran news, we had dropped that in our war room earlier in the day. From what I understand, he may be heading to Georgia Tech as a graduate transfer, so there's that. Vanderbilt loses far and away its most talented and probably its best offensive lineman. Uh, yeah, Tyler Georgia, Steen would to, be the other Atlanta guy. He's an Atlanta native, yeah. uh, went to Greater Atlanta Christian there, and he's, he's a guy that has been very, he's very talented. I, I think he's got a chance to play in the NFL um, uh, you know, he is, uh, he, he, he's a big kid, still needs to develop his body. Uh, you know, he played through some, he's was banged up a lot last year, played through some injuries and stuff like that. But that, that one doesn't shock me that he's moving on. Yeah. Their tackles now become presumably, I guess, Jonathan Stewart on the left side. And I would guess that Steen would stay on the right side. Would that be your first guess? 
Yeah, I think so. Um, Stewart was a guy that, you know, he really needs to develop his body more. He does not have the body of a, you know, an SEC left tackle. But when he was thrust into the role early when Cochran was hurt early this year, I think the staff was, you know, surprised, pleasantly surprised by the way he held up. And, you know, he became a rotational guy. I don't think he started much the rest of the year. He became a guy who was at least in the rotation another year in the off, in the off season. Uh, hopefully he can get his body in better shape. They have always felt that he was very talented. The issue was being in shape. Uh, not being in shape was what kept him off the field essentially the entire 2018 season. I think he literally took one snap and that was it. So it was a question of, A, can he get in shape, which I think was still a little bit of an issue maybe this fall camp. I could be wrong about that, but it seems like I heard a little bit of that. But he got in there and I think did surprisingly well, as you said. So uh, Mitch, or excuse me, Peter Rosamondo is the offensive line coach. From what I hear, he's pretty well regarded. He's been a head coach, I think, at the Division II yeah. level. Regarded well as a coach, maybe as an evaluator, not such a recruiter from what I've been told. I mean, who knows? His sample size at this level is small, but he comes from Rutgers, which was pretty much a dumpster fire last year, which you can't really hold against him because he was only there a year. Right. Yeah. You know, um, I forgot. Was it at Monmouth? I forgot where he's been because I looked up his resume. Uh, maybe Central Connecticut, something yeah, Central like Connecticut. that. Central Connecticut. Um, so, yeah, I mean, again, it's 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 always difficult for, I mean, to evaluate an offensive line coach, even a highly regarded one, but a guy we don't, I don't know much about. And um, so, you know, I just kind of, Trust that trust that he knows what he's doing. Um, I, I did not. You, you jump in here, Chris. I never got the impression that. Now I know the offensive line struggled this year. I never, you know, I, I was kind of surprised that they moved on from Norcross. I, you know, just thought he was well regarded, well liked, but I could be entirely wrong. Could be where his style, and I'm just spitballing here, his style of offensive line player coaching wasn't going to mesh well with what they want to do offensively now with the new coordinator. I, I really don't know. I'm just speculating. Well, the two things that I've heard, I had heard before the end of the season that they may move on from Norcross and of course Norcross now at UNLV. So that was not a surprise. I don't know if I'd mentioned that on the podcast or dropped it on the website or both, but it had come up before and I'm not shocked to see him moving on. The knocks on him in order were recruiting he was never evidently a very good recruiter. And number two, and, and this may be, I don't know how widespread this opinion is, but what I've heard was that he had some issues identifying the, the right guys. In other words, he may think player A was more talented than player B, and player B got the shot when player A was a better player all along. So there were issues with apparently with recruiting and with identification of the talent that he did have. Again, I don't know how fair that is. You know, I don't think that that offensive line last year, it's not like they had 15 guys who were blue chippers, um, you know, and he was just picking the wrong guys left and right. But that's my rambling way of sort of answering uh, what you said there. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to, you know, it's all speculation. Um, but if either of those are true, then that doesn't seem to be a good combination for a position coach. No, if you can't recruit, you can't evaluate the right guys. That's sort of hard to succeed. Might as well just have me up there coaching offensive line. <laughs> well, I'll just put this out there. If they would like me to coach offensive line, 
uh, and fail for the money they pay or, or yeah. any position for that matter, I'm I'm up for that. Sounds good. Defense. Well, no, I take that back. We did not talk about Todd Fitch. Todd Fitch has been around a while, been at a bunch of places, has recruited in the SEC before at South Carolina, did not call the plays at Louisiana Tech. I don't think called them at ECU either because I believe Skip Holtz, who was his both both places, likes to do that. I believe he has called plays before, but it's been a while. Correct me if I'm wrong there. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm looking at his bio now, uh, you know, I wouldn't necessarily hold that against him not calling plays because his boss is a you know offensive guy. But I'm I, I would have I'd like to see a guy who's called plays because to me there's there's uh, there's two big parts of being an offensive coordinator. One is having a, a scheme, and one is being able to pick the right plays at the right time. I think that's another skill set in of itself. You know that, that you could just the, the the momentum of the game and the feeling of the game. And I think it's one of the more underrated things in sports is these coordinators, especially with up-tempo offenses. And I know there's a lot of different looks and you do things based on what the defense does, but in, you know, five seconds after the ball is blown dead, you get, you have another play ready. It's so uh, I, I think, you know, being able to do that will, will be key. Um, and I'm curious, I, again, I know it doesn't sound like there's a connection there. I'm just curious where, you know, you know where his name came from. Uh, again, because it doesn't seem to be a, a, a fit with any of the current play, you know, connection. Like I don't know if any of the, any of the current coaches have coached with him at other stops. Maybe they have, but looking at his resume, I don't see any crossover. I have been told that Mason knew him, but I'm with you as I look at the background of where he's been. I don't think that he and Derek had been the same place at a time. I don't know where that crossover would have been with assistants either, so I'm a little bit stumped. I will tell you there is one Vanderbilt connection I know of for sure. He and Tim Corbin went to high school together, and I believe that Corbin was a year ahead of Fitch, or it may have been the other way around. Oh, wow, that's interesting. So maybe there's the connection there. You know, maybe Yeah, I mean, a- I don't I don't think it was – I'm guessing it wasn't – it didn't go down like Corbin saying, hey, there's this guy out there you ought to hire, but that's, right, right. That's, the only, that's the only dot that I've been able to connect to. And not that every coach is just – needs to be a connection just he seems to be a little bit out of left field as you know the, the coordinator of Louisiana Tech it's a good program they won a lot of games this year and stuff I, obviously so I was just surprised when his name crept up immediately well I think it was going to be a tough sell either way the offense wasn't good it lost its three best players it's breaking in a new quarterback the perception of Derek Mason is that he may not be long for the job whether that's accurate or not I'm not sure but very hard to hire a coordinator under the circumstances I think they did really, really, really well with Roof, which I'll get into in a second, better than I thought they would. A Fitch type of hire to me was kind of about what I was expecting. I just don't think that's a, a job right now that you can attract You know, the, the next big thing to Vanderbilt at the moment. And the play-calling thing, I have two ways to look at that because I'm with you. I mean, if Skip Holtz is insisting on calling the plays – Okay, that may not be a reflection on Todd Fitch. On the other hand, if you've not done that in a few years, it takes a while to get comfortable in the rhythm of those things and to react in real time as that happens. You know, Jerry Godowski had been an offensive coordinator, and I think, I guess he'd been a play caller at Ohio. And his numbers at Ohio, like I said before, they were not bad under his guidance, but I don't know how much that played in last year just being – 
for lack of a better way to put it, rusty calling plays or whatever. But that is my concern with Todd Fitch more than the fact that he did not do that. That may have been a Holtz thing, but just how does he make that transition next year? Yeah, no, totally fair. Agree. And, you know, we'll, we'll find out um, um, soon enough. And, you know, like, like you said, it, it, it was not, not right now hiring from a position of strength, especially if this, you know, with the personnel they're lo- Vanderbilt's losing combined with the fact that most people believe that, the, you know, that Derek needs to win some games next year, you know, d- does make it a, 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 a not the easiest time to make the hire. Let's talk Ted Roof, because I think that's the biggest score of all these, hands down. Honestly, I was surprised that Vanderbilt was able to attract a coordinator of his magnitude. The word I have heard is they are paying him a million dollars a year. I think he's getting a two-year deal. I am not certain about that last part, but I cannot imagine he would come here for, for one year. But I guess money talks. Ted Roof has been the head coach at Duke, who I believe he, from memory, with six and forty-one, I do not hold that against him because head coaching skills and coordinator slash assistant coaching skills are different things. But this guy has been a coordinator a lot of places. He did it at Georgia Tech from ninety-nine to two thousand and one. That's when he went to Duke as the head coach. He went to Minnesota as the defensive coordinator in two thousand eight. Was at Auburn from oh nine to twenty eleven as the defensive coordinator and linebackers coach, then went to UCF for a year, then Penn State for a year, coordinator both those spots, coordinator again at Georgia Tech from 13 to 17, co-coordinator at NC State in 18, and the solo coordinator at Appalachian State last year, which was pretty good. Bottom line is Ted Roof has been trusted with a lot of big jobs, Mitch, and has had a pretty decent amount of success at those places. I think Auburn had a national title in there under yeah. his watch. Appalachian State was good. Uh, and his defenses at Tech, from what I remember, were pretty solid as well. Yeah, no, I, you said it. Uh, national champion at Duke and – I mean at Duke, at uh, at Auburn. You know, highly regarded. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. I think it's obviously the fact that they were paying a million dollars helped, and that's that has to be the largest uh, – Obviously, it's the largest Vanderbilt's ever paid for an assistant football coach. Uh, so that's good to see there and um, be interested. Now, I think historically, he's kind of a 4-3 guy, right? And Derek Mason's a 3-4, though. It seems like defenses are more hybrid than ever. So I don't know if how, how big of a deal that is. But that's uh, that would be something to watch. I have not researched it. That's the way that I remember hearing it. I also have a friend who I think has played on the roof who really – thinks a lot of him too so there's that as well for whatever that's okay, worth i'm looking at our depth chart in athlon's uh athlon sports preview last year and we have a three four for app state as their as well their, uh, and and the more i think about it did not auburn run a three four during those years i may be totally off base with that wait, wait so uh, i know this isn't great podcasting i'm walking to the other side of my office to see if i can find a 2010 or or 11 SEC magazine to look at our depth chart. So Yeah, well, uh, I was about to do the same thing, so I'll let you go to it first. Uh, by the way, while you were looking that up, how shocked were you about the Mississippi State decision? Because from what I hear, Todd Grantham is going to be their head coach. I don't think I see that as an upgrade from Joe Moorhead. I'm coming back. Um, so, hold on a second. I'll get to that. So, he was at... Uh, Duke, the head coach at Duke, and I just grabbed an 07 
Athlon Sports snag here. And I'll, I'll, when he's the head coach, even though he was, I'm sure he ran the defense there. So let me look. Duke, uh, page 168. Again, this is great podcasting, I know, but hey, get what you pay for with me here. Um, here, their their court, their their defense at Duke in 2008 was a four three, but I can't guarantee. I don't I don't remember who our Duke writer was in four three, and our, our our writers supply the depth chart, but whatever. So that that's not that's not a huge issue. Um, I was surprised about Moorhead, but you know there were some rumblings about some issues in the program. Uh, I thought that because John Cohn was a former coach, that he would kind of more of that he I'm a coach I hired this guy he's my coach they would give him some more time there but then once it leaked last year that last week that something wasn't kosher you knew you can't really come back from that so um I'm surprised I liked the hire at the time it was a little bit of a gamble you know but I liked the fact that Ruth had I mean that that uh uh Moorhead had been a head coach in the FCS ranks at Fordham had been successful obviously his offense is at at Penn State were successful. The fact that they were so bad offensively last year was, you know, they, they wasted a historically good defense at Mississippi State last year um, and just could not get it going offensively. So, yeah, Todd Grantham doesn't do anything for me as an offensive, as a head coach at all. I would, you know, I would, I'm looking at what Joe Judge, who's a, a Patriots assistant who played at Mississippi State, I would rather go out with someone, kind of roll the dice on someone. I know, I know Grantham, kind of rolling the dice there too because he's never been a head coach but that that would not excite me if I was a Mississippi State guy no I'm not big on hiring hotheads unless yeah there's a right you need right you there's need a nice have, counterbalance it's proven which he does not have in my mind right there's a certain you need uh, CEO qualities to be you know a head coach and you, you if you're you can't lose your you know you can't three or four times a year go on an outburst on the sidelines if you're the head coach Back to Roof, I looked up an Auburn depth chart from 2011, and they were running a 4-3 then. So it seems like he has run both. But I think our impression, each of us, was that he's predominantly been a 4-3 guy, uh, and that would seem to back it up. Yeah, so again, you know, I think defenses are so multiple nowadays um, and, you know, matchups and stuff. I Like, this could be totally off base, but it seems like 15 years ago, it was, everything was more rigid. There wasn't as much substitutions. Obviously, there weren't nearly as many you know nickel and dime packages because teams weren't throwing. They weren't going four or five wide as much as they are now. Let's shift to hoops. Boy, the SMU game, I'm watching that, and in the second half, they're just playing so well. And you're just thinking, hey, this looks like a team that may have turned a little bit of a corner here. I mean, SMU is not a win that you go puff your chest out about but it's one that you've got to feel good that's a good team that if they catch a run of breaks maybe an NCAA tournament team probably not but but maybe who knows and Vanderbilt's winning that game with 15 points by 15 points with six and a half minutes to play and the bottom just kind of falls out similar thing happened with Davidson they hung on to win that game but uh, boy that really ruined what was a a very nice evening for about oh an hour and 55 minutes it seemed yeah and I mean you got the stakes weren't as high as some other tough losses for Vanderbilt over the years because this is you know not going to be an NCAA tournament team but it's I've it's hard to find a you know a more if you take each game just in the fact that you want to win the game and you're you're not looking at the the ramifications of the entire season 
I, I don't remember many losses more brutal than that. You know, not only losing the 15 point lead, but I watch a ton of sports. I watch a ton of college basketball, and it's you don't see many teams lose a six point lead in, in that. Uh, you know, with 15, 20 seconds like that. And, you know, I listened to Tim Jankovic's post game on his radio show. I just, I knew, got to know Tim a little bit when he was uh, here with Kevin Stallings, great guy. And, you know, he, and I kind of agree. He made the, the point is like, good thing, you know, speaking of an SMU standpoint, good thing we missed that layup after the steal. We probably lose the game if that layup goes in. And that's just kind of how the final seconds went for Vanderbilt. It's just, you know, whatever could go wrong, did go wrong. They hit some shots. Vanderbilt didn't handle well, things well. Um, and yeah, just a really tough loss. And, you know, I, I guess my, and Jerry Stackhouse kind of took ownership for this. And I don't know if the play was supposed to, be, to do something else. You know, Vanderbilt's had two games this year where they've had the ball at the end of regulation, the tie game, and didn't get a good shot off either time. And Aaron Neesmith did not take the shot either time. So that, that would be my, really my only critique of the coaching. I mean, you know, I think sometimes, you know, you, you can kind of get a sense the ball gets rolled in the wrong direction. Like, I thought the Davidson game, uh, I thought, you know, Davidson was going to get hot because uh, they had a cold spell there. Um, you know, Vanderbilt, I never really thought Vanderbilt was going to lose the Davidson game. And then SMU, pretty much the same thing until the very end there. So I know I'm kind of rambling there. Just really unfortunate loss because they played. Vanderbilt played so well for a stretch there, forced some steals and did so many good things. Aaron Neesmith playing at such a high level. So just, you know, it is what it is, but just a brutal loss by the Commodores. Well, I did like to hear him take some responsibility for that. And honestly, that's three end of game situations. If you talk about the two possessions against Richmond, one in overtime, one in regulation, where Neesmith never touched the ball. Yeah. Yeah. I would say the, the, the end of overtime, I totally agree with you, but at least the end of overtime in Richmond, there was a, the play was set up and the ball got deflected. At least there was a play ran and play run with a, a plan the other two times is just dribbling the ball and jacking it up. But I, I agree. You got, you have one of the best players in the country. He's got to touch the ball. Well, not that he has a whole lot of a choice, but he's putting a whole lot on Scotty Pippen jr. Right now. Yep. I agree. I agree. And, uh, you know, this guy's played well for a freshman. If, you know, ideally on a, a NCAA tournament type team or some previous variable teams, he would be a, a really good freshman guard coming off the bench, getting 15 to 18 minutes a game, not 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 being forced to be one of your best players. Yeah, and I asked him this too. He didn't take the bait. But I said, hey, look, you're down to eight healthy scholarship players. When you get in overtimes and late game situations, because they are not closing out games well, I would have to think that factors in. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. It's just, um, and then the problem is, and you know how sports works, whether whatever sport it is, it's like once it's happened a couple times, it's it, you just, you, you lack the confidence. You kind of wait for bad things to happen. It's sort of like in baseball when the bullpen's struggling and you go into the seventh or eighth inning and you just kind of expect something bad to happen. Um, that's kind of where this team is right now. And it's a shame because that, you know, Davidson's a, a decent team and, they Vanderbilt played great. I thought, you know, the defense was great, played really good stretches. And, you know, there's times you look at this team, great player in Neesmith, a really good player in Lee, and some some, you know, clearly the supporting cast isn't what it needs to be. But, you know, when the when the good players are playing well, it's not forcing your supporting cast to do too, too much. And, you know, without Cleavon Brown, they're obviously limited uh it, with, with the big bodies. So 
it's just, yeah, it's just unfortunate that they couldn't close it out because that would have ended a night, you know, heading into conference play, which we all know is going to be difficult for Vanderbilt. That would have been a nice little stretch with wins over, you know, Davidson and SMU. Well, you summed it up well about expecting things to go wrong. I mean, that summed up all of last year, basically. And in the Davidson game, I'm going back and looking at the game flow here. Almost the same thing happened. It just didn't end as well. Vandy is up 17 with 744 to play, and it gets cut to five at the very end. Now, the the very end was the closest Davidson got, but you change that game around a little bit like the SMU game, Davidson hits a three or two in there. It could be the same situation. Now, you could also say that in reverse, that SMU misses a three in there somewhere and, and they get a win. We're not having this conversation, but things are what they are at this point. Right. Uh, the Davidson game was different, though, to me, that Vanderbilt was dominant for, you know, what, 20 minutes of the game was up between 15 and 20 points. They controlled the game for a long period of stretch. Vanderbilt had that, correct me if I'm wrong, but had a nice lead in the second half, fluctuating a little bit, and then got to 15 quickly, and then it went back down quickly. So did not, Vanderbilt did not, to, to use the old uh, college football playoff committee term, game control, The game, Vanderbilt had the game control much better in the Davidson game than SMU. Yeah, exactly. Now the thing is, if you're them, Auburn is probably the best team they will face all year. That one's next. That one's on the road. Frankly, it's a game they've got no shot to win. You just hope it doesn't kill their confidence if you're them. Yeah, it's funny. You mentioned that. Auburn is good, but it, I'm not saying Vanderbilt is going to win the game. But Jeff Goodman was tweeting this today. I know some people have them ranked high. It's like Jeff Goodman's like, I can't put Auburn in my top 10, even though they're undefeated. Their best win was at Mississippi State away. Uh, you know, they're – their, their best win, Ken Palm, was 45 NC State at home, overtime against Furman. So this is a good team. It's a typical Bruce Pearl team, but it's not like they've, you know, they haven't beaten, a, you know, they beat Richmond. I watched the Richmond game. They ended up beating them by 14, but it was close. It was in Brooklyn. It was back and forth. Um, so I don't think this is the best team they will play. Um, you know, right now, Auburn's, you know, probably ranked the highest, I think, uh, it'll be proven that, that that Auburn's not the best team in the SEC, but it it's a very difficult game for Vanderbilt. Ken Palm has Auburn at 94% chance of winning. Let's go to the mailbag if you're ready. What if I'm not? Well, I think I'm going to take you there anyway. So, okay. So hang on for the ride here. Today's okay. mailbag is sponsored by Vanderbilt Fan, Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood. If you are looking for a one-stop shop to take care of your insurance needs, Josh can help you out. Call him today, 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Twitter at HQ or facebook.com forward slash jdmintonhq. He is my insurance agent. Give him a try and tell him you heard about it on this podcast. GLH4VU says, why can't this team close a game out? Multiple times we've had double-digit leads and either lost the game or let the opposing team cut the lead significantly down. Is there no killer instinct on this team, or is it pressure? That's, I mean, that's an age-old question in sports when it happens. It's, it's really difficult to, to uh, pinpoint I don't, you know, sometimes it's ball handling. A team can't handle the press. Obviously, Vanderbilt struggled at the very end there. I don't, I don't think it's ball handling. You know, we talked about both 
games were kind of different where Vanderbilt got the lead up to 15 real quickly, then it went back real quickly where the Davidson game was more, you know, just hanging in the 15 to 22 range. And then Davidson got hot, uh, you know, uh, free throw shooting isn't what, you know, missed a few free throws there. So I think it's a little bit of everything. And, you know, I think there's the learning how to win. It's such a cliche, but, you know, Aaronson Neesmith's by far the best player on the team. He's only a sophomore, didn't win a conference game last year. So as good as he is, it's not like any of this, this current crop has really enjoyed success. I guess Cleavon Brown was on the NCAA tournament team his freshman year, uh, not, a, not a key member of that team, but there's not really a primary guy that's, that's, that's won big games in college. So I, I think that probably has something to do with it as well. Ann Arbor Door says, who do you both pick for surprise SEC men's basketball programs this season? He says, by surprise, I mean performance exceeding expectations and teams falling short of expectations. I am just starting to really, you know, for whatever reason this year, I have not watched as much SEC basketball in the preseason as I normally do. Um, been watching, I watched, you know, Tennessee, LSU. I, I thought LSU looked pretty good. I don't know if you call them a surprise. I like Arkansas. Again, I don't know how much of a surprise. Georgia had a nice win at Memphis, you know, a shorthanded Memphis team. Um, I think Missouri could could do some good things. here. I, I think the league's not as good as I expected. I don't think, you know, Kentucky with its talent has the potential to be great. Other than that, you know, Florida's been a disappointment. I don't know if there's a top 10 team outside of, you know, at the end of the year outside of Kentucky. So um, I, I like Alabama's talent. They blew one. I think Vanderbilt had a tough loss. Alabama was up the whole game at Florida and blew it. Alabama has good talent. I don't know what to think of Nate Oates because I think they're underachieving. Again, I can't sit here and say I've watched them a ton. I watched them lose to at Rhode Island, who's not very good. Uh, but I, I like Alabama's talent. I mean, do you watch some of Alabama's guys compared to the non-Neesmith and non-Saban uh, Lee guys at, at Vanderbilt? And, you know, there, there's a big difference there. South Carolina has been good enough to win at Virginia and lose at home to Stetson. And then Lipscomb beat Stetson the next game after that. So uh, I know I'm rambling here, but I don't really, uh, you know, I don't know who you consider overachieve. I, I would say maybe Arkansas would be the one team I'd watch out for. You know, they won at Indiana last week and they're 12 and one. They're getting it back. I think they had 18,000 at Bud Walton Arena, which is something they have not been doing for years. You know, when they first came to the league, Planet Arkansas was a chore. They have not drawn well, you know, not drawn great in recent years. But if they get that arena going again, um, I think they could be really good. Yeah, Arkansas is, to me, the clear runaway answer on the positive side. Georgia, to me, probably the team to watch out for that could overachieve because Anthony Edwards, who's, I guess the best remaining freshman in the country now that James Wiseman is down for the count. But them going to Memphis and beating a pretty good Memphis team at Memphis was something that really surprised me. By the way, Georgia also beat SMU two weeks ago in double overtime in Athens. Not a huge slate of wins. Uh, The losses have been to Dayton, which is seven in Ken Palm, Michigan State, which is three in Ken Palm, and that one was only by eight points, and the other one, a blowout at Arizona State. But you wonder, going and winning a game at Memphis like that with kind of a young team, was that the light coming on for that bunch? Yeah, and Anthony Edwards did not play great at Memphis. They, I think they have five top 100 guys on their team. or They, they sent four maybe top 100 guys or five in this freshman class, so it's not just Anthony Edwards. Uh, Severe Wheeler's a really good player. Hammonds is a veteran there, so... Yeah, I think this has potential to be a a pretty good team. 
that's that's kind of my wild card at this point. On on the other side, man, Florida seems to just figure it out every year just by gutting it out. But I mean, that's a team right now, twenty nine in Ken Palm, that some thought was a top five team in America or at least top ten preseason. They don't shoot the ball well. Tennessee, to me, for for reasons you can explain, because I really think a lot of Rick Barnes is a coach, but you lose a Williams and a Schofield, and there is an obvious rebuilding process. Well, you throw in the loss of Lamonte Turner, which threw them a huge curveball, and they got a new point guard, the international kid whose name escapes me. I think he hit six threes and turned it over something like nine times the other day. Yeah, I watched I watched him in that game. Yeah, six turno- um, nine turnovers and six threes. So he's a good. I think the scouting report needs to get out on him. He is a good. He almost he's a kind of an old man game. He's 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 got almost a set shot. Uh, he's a good catch and shoot guy. Not saying he won't continue to shoot well, but but I I think he'll be guarded better from the perimeter. That literally was his first game, uh, and they put him in the starting lineup. So yeah, I'm not. I thought people were too high on Tennessee in the preseason. You lose four starters two all-time greats in your programs from, from like leadership standpoint. Um, so I, I think Tennessee has its, its limitations uh, as well. And um, whatever. Yeah. Florida. I, yeah. I don't get Florida. They're just, they, I know they pulled it out against Alabama, against Alabama, but they, they have, you know, they get hot certain times of year, but uh, I, a lot of locals aren't convinced Mike White's the, the best of coaches, put it that way. Yeah, I don't know what to make of him. They're not a lot of fun to watch usually, but they do play hard and yeah. they do they do win a lot more than they lose. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, he, Mike White's done a good good enough job there. He's been, I think, what final for the Elite Eight. Uh, but this was a year that they had some preseason top ten buzz, and they clearly haven't played like that. Point totals for Tennessee the last five games. 47 against Memphis in Knoxville, 66 at Cincinnati, 75 at home against Jacksonville State, then 48 against Wisconsin, 64 against LSU. Uh, Three-point shooting is a real problem for them. And then I think you can't really knock Tennessee for not having a big year, but I think in terms of falling short of expectations, I know at Blue Ribbon, I help out over there. Chris Dorch had them in the top 25 in his preseason I don't think that most people had them ranked that highly, but I think they were at least a tournament team, according to most people, were they not? So we had them in the tournament athlon sports. I, I don't think they're a tournament team now without Lamonte Turner. And right now, quite you know, they just don't. They, they had that nice win against Washington in, in Toronto. Uh, other than that, their best. Well, they beat they beat VCU at the buzzer. So that, that's a top 50 Ken Palm win. But other than that, they don't have – they don't have a top 130 Ken Palm win after that. Well, and, and both those games were with Turner as well. Yeah. So let's see. The next one, I think this is the last one. Woody VU66 says, I was pretty much checked out of football once Derek Mason was retained, but I have to admit the two coordinator hires have sparked some interest in me. Are these hires as significant as they seem, and are they going to be handcuffed by Derek Mason? I don't uh, – I mean, we've already talked about the coordinators in detail. I, I don't think they'll be handcuffed at all. You know, I don't – I never subscribed to the theory that at least last year that that was a problem. I thought Derek got frustrated by the offense and, and lack of getting the ball to the playmakers. So I don't I don't think they were handcuffed uh, or that Jerry Godowski was handcuffed. And I think early in uh, 
Andy Ludwig's tenure, it was a joint handcuffing, if that makes sense, where like that his first year, they really first year and a half, they really didn't trust Kyle Shermer to do much because they they the defense was good that year and they didn't really want to screw things up that first bowl season. And then as the year progressed, when they realized they had Kalaja Lipscomb and that, that Shermer was developing, they opened things up. I think that Auburn game on the road was kind of where the light bulb went on. So I think they did a nice job. Uh, kind of letting the offense breathe and, you know, flex its muscles. And then we saw them open it up after that. So, I, you know, I might be in the more minority, but I've never thought Derek Mason, you know, maybe early in his tenure when it's like, we're going to be Stanford, we're going to be power running. I, I I don't see it as, 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 you know, Derek Mason holding back the offense, especially this past year. Mitch, anything we didn't hit that's worth discussing, either Vanderbilt or the college sports landscape? Not really. Um, and usually ask me to promote my Twitter handle and I have a new Twitter handle. It's no longer as of yesterday at Athlon Mitch. My Twitter handle is now at Mitch Light uh, on Wednesday of this week will be my my last day after almost 19 years at Athlon Sports. I'll be starting a, a new gig on Monday, which we can talk about next time I'm I'm on the podcast. Um, but, uh, you know, so I'll continue to uh, talk Vanderbilt with you uh, going forward, but just will not be doing it from the Athlon Sports capacity. I have a sneaking suspicion you will not be exiting the world of college and pro sports coverage. You, uh, you're well, since you know where I'm going, you, you, that's that's very. Bold. Oh come on, man! Let me be, uh, <laughs> you know, clairvoyant here for a minute. So. Yeah, no, I will not. Staying, staying in the world of sports. <laughs> uh, so, but uh, yeah, looking forward to it. And it's been a great run here, at Athlon. Love Athlon. It's been a dream job, but just. Kind of this time in my life, just uh, ready for a new challenge. Mitch, thank you for joining us. Best of luck in your new gig, which we will talk about next week. And we'll talk more Vanderbilt sports and, you know, maybe a basketball win in there against Texas A&M on Saturday. And then we're, before you know it, we'll be talking a little baseball. Exactly, which I'm already getting our coverage ready at Vandy Sports. So I'm trying to get a head start on that because I have a sneaking suspicion they'll be good again this year. I disagree. I really, I think it's a rebuilding year. I'd be surprised if they win five SEC games. Oh man, uh, way to way to kill the buzz <laughs> over here. Obviously, <laughs> obviously kidding. <laughs> Mitch, thanks a bunch. We'll catch you next week. All right, Chris. He's Mitch Light. I'm Chris Lee, host of the Vandy Sports Podcast. We've got a bunch of these coming later in the week, so stay tuned, folks.